Season 7 of Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. So we're doing things a little bit different this season. We're going to do a weekend drop of show discussion, and then we'll do the usual book talk on Thursdays. If you've been listening along, you will have noticed that Steve is getting really, really into this show, and our conversations have gotten longer and longer. And rather than trying to cut those short, I just thought we'll just put the show talk in a different podcast. So that'll be normally a Sunday-Thursday thing. Today we're releasing this on Saturday because Aaron and Jim are on to talk about the latest House of the Dragon trailer. So that'll be the first thing. And then after that, Steve and I will talk about Dragonstone, the first episode of Season 7. Sam and Gilly arrive at the Citadel. Bran and Mira arrive at the Wall. Of course, Danny arrives onto Dragonstone. But of course, the big deal in this episode is that Arya kills every fray as far as the eye can see. So that'll be my discussion with Steve. Before we get to Steve, here is my discussion on the newest House of the Dragon trailer with Jim and Aaron. Aaron and Jim, welcome back to your own podcast. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the prophecy has been fulfilled. It's the second we release a House of the Dragon update, uh, <laughs> HBO sees fit to drop a massive mm-hmm. new marketing campaign. Nine new posters featuring... A lot of the named cast with a bonus about minute 30 teaser trailer. That's our first real glimpse into the realm. I think that House of the Dragon has a marketing department that's specifically looking to screw over all other media. They want to see exactly when the Lord of the Rings thing is going to drop. They're going to thwart their timing. Even down to the bald move platform. They do not want anyone else to succeed. Only House of the Dragon. You know, HBO would sooner put a torch to the realm than see anyone else benefit. (laughs) That's a perfect thing to say to that. Yeah. Can I ask you guys a a meta question before we get into the trailer? Sure. Yeah. How do you feel about time jumps? Because I think that the one thing that this trailer tells us that we didn't already know is that the first season is going to play with time jumps a bit, just based on Matt Smith's wig. (laughs) Like sometimes he's got that really short cropped hair and then it's sort of shoulder length. And then there's one where it's sort of long flowing locks. You do those sorts of things only to illustrate a time leap, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not going to have like an episode where he gets his hair cut. So they want to show the passage of time. And I think sometimes that's tricky. How do you guys feel about it? How one shows do that? Well, they, we, we've known since the casting was released that they, they were younger and older versions of, like, Allison Tytower and Rhaenyra right. Targaryen. Um, and I, I'm fine with that because I think that there's going to be a lot either – there's probably going to be a significant amount of flashbacks because they need to show how this family rift developed. You know, they need to know – you need to know why the, 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 the beef happens. Um mm. You know, to go back to maybe less um, politically problematic uh, 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 references, the 2000 election, you know, Gore versus Bush. It was a very close contested election. A lot of people argued over who won, who lost. Imagine how sick that would have been if, like, Gore and Bush had been brothers. 
that had <laughs> vied for their father's <laughs> attention. Uh, or, and one of them was an adopted brother at that. That was mm-hmm. intensely. So it's like it would have been even more crazy. And that's essentially Targaryen history in a nutshell. You'd have to include a, a scene with Goran Bush, like competing on bicycles or competing sure. or climbing to the treehouse. Who's and... going to invent the internet first? That kind of business, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Swimming out to the middle of the lake, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Some shows do this really well and some not so well. I don't think that Game of Thrones ever did much. With... I mean, they did flashbacks on occasion. But really it was sort of like, hey, one damn thing happens right after the other, mm-hmm. and you can track it pretty well. I think I don't know if there'll be ongoing figures throughout the whole series, but the way I see it happening is like there's this scene in the trailer where uh, uh, Rhaenys Targaryen, the queen who never was, is like ruefully looking out over a courtyard, talking to Rhaenyras, and saying, "You know, some men would rather the realm burn than see a queen sit the throne." I could see that kicking off a flashback because, you know, there's family mm-hmm. history there that could flash. That could make Rhaenyra's taught think about the time when all the men in the realm swore fealty to not just her father, but to her mm-hmm. as the princess. And here, uh, God, with their Targaryen ancestry, I think it's her aunt is, you know, has firsthand experience where she was supposed to be first in line. And that's a thing mm-hmm. that can happen with Targaryens. Females can inherit uh, females in the Ferengi uh, parlance. So women can inherit the throne. Mm-hmm. And she got passed over. Um, okay, check this out. I'm on the IMDb page. And I'm looking at Millie Alloc and Emma Darcy. Young Renera, 10 episodes. Renera, 10 episodes. So hmm. at least every, assuming this is 10 episode season. At least every episode is going to do a, a back and forth time time jump. Yeah, possibly. The, the IMDb information is not always a hundred percent accurate until okay. after right. airing. Um, so okay. it's possible that's placeholder stuff. But you know, go, going on that, I think there is like a, a around what you said about um, you know the showing that maybe the patterns are repeating here. Right at the end of the trailer, there's a line about history. Not remembering blood, it remembers names, um, and and up front they talk about you know what is life, but not uh, but for the pursuit of legacy. Uh, I feel like there could be a theme of sort of what has happened before will happen again, uh, just repeating hmm. patterns. Seems like that might be what they're going for in this first season. Yeah, so that could see a lyrical structure of you know uh, the. Um the you know but the, the, the back and forth interplay of the past and the present you know this is also like uh we talk about a lot about fire and blood in the world of ice and fire but this is also based on two novellas uh the princess and the queen and the rogue prince which is the prequel uh so like there is a you know a, a good opportunity for them to kind of bounce back and forth between those timelines in a narratively satisfying way i agree it's a challenge but like um and we've seen it i'm trying to think of a show recently that's done that well um like a back and yellow jackets there you go yellow jackets is a very good example of the 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 past and the present throwing the ball back and forth to each other by character and theme in an extremely threaded way that never felt like you were lost or 
uh, hmm. that, that always kept you kind of grounded in, in, in what they were trying to, to do. And to your point, Anthony, I've seen it done poorly too. So yeah, um, it can be dodgy, but so can any aspect of storytelling, I suppose. I, I was wondering right. with you guys, what did you think about, because like my big question, and I said this on Twitter, it's like I've had this trepidation, you know, because I've got, I've got post Game of Thrones, P-G-O-T-S-D, uh, <laughs> of like, is, is, was that like a, of lightning in a bottle, they captured it once, and they're, we're not going to be able to go back, like, are they going to have the epic theme, are they going to have the treachery and betrayal, are they going to have the real politic beyond just the magical dragon stuff that really hooked people. Did this trailer feel like Game of Thrones to you? Jim? Oh, for me, 100%. I I, I mean, down to they're even using some of the same music cues, right? I, I heard the Game of Thrones theme in there uh, a time or two. And, and yeah, I, I feel like there was a good balance here of people professing uh, opinions about the, the political state of the board and dragons flying through, breathing fire, people attacking others with knives. Like, it's, it feels very Game of Thrones to me. Yeah, this trailer in particular tells, like, a little story, and it's a pretty simple one. It's like, as long as that king is alive, everyone's fine. As soon as we have funerary rites, and that guy's coffin gets pushed into the ocean, immediately after that guy dies, people are going to put knives to each other's throats and start stabbing each other, right? I mean, that's kind of like when Robert Baratheon dies, then you've got this War of Five Kings. Well, it's, it's mm-hmm. and even then, it's it's an insider outsider because it's got the the Targaryens are all of course related, but you've got the High Towers, the Hand of the King, uh, who's got a daughter of his own, who's got machinations, and there's a scene where Daemon Targaryen, the the rogue prince, has got an egg, and he's meeting with Otto at some point, and you can see in Daemon's like. Maybe not wanting to get like it, I, I'm. I'm guessing this is a gift for somebody, and like Damon's not wanting to maybe give him this gift, and Otto's kind of skeptical about what he would do with the dragon egg. It's, you know, there's 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 a real cultural clash here between the Targaryens who are insular in every sense of the word. They are they are the outsiders, but mm-hmm. now they are inviting outsiders into their inner circles because they're forced to to maintain you know, power over Westeros. Uh, so you've got this, like, really interesting juxtaposition about the original outsiders, Tar- Targaryens, that came over, kicked over the Ant Hill, and and, and took everything uh, from these, these proud Westerosi, and then the Westerosi, who found themselves suddenly outside the corridors of power, trying to worm their way back in. Uh, and, you know, that's the plot. Like, you, if, 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 if the uh, high towers of Otto's plans succeed, they will supplant the Targaryens, you know, uh, and, and undermine their rule. And you also, you've got a gendered thing. I mean, I think that this, this trailer really wants to play up the gender thing, right? Uh, it's a right out, you know, right out front. They want you to contend with this gender imbalance. And toward the end of Game of Thrones, and I'm talking like late seasons, what did we see? We saw Sansa take power in the north. We saw the Iron Islands and Marine and King's Landing. They were all ruled by women. And it almost seemed like, oh, this is just kind of par for the course. The women are taking over. And what this show is doing is say, let me tell you how crazy it is for that actually to be an occurrence. Yeah, I I think I, I hear that line. You know, men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And I'm in for that ride. 
I do wonder if there's going to be a contingent of Game of Thrones fans who are not in for that ride. Because I, I do remember in covering it, there was a lot of discussion about that. Um, and, and I think like Danny got a lot of hate uh, for stuff that she was doing that if any of the guys did it in th- the show, no one would bat an eye. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it might be a little controversial, um, especially if, like you said, the, the show is going to deal with that in a more direct way. The weird thing is, is as long as that topic of conversation is controversial, the more shows we're going to get about that very topic. <laughs> True. Right? Yeah. Were there any other details, Easter eggs? Uh, we actually had an actual egg. Uh, but any kind of little details that you noticed in this that, I don't know, something we didn't know before this trailer? Does the um, does the table have a name, that Dragonstone table? Yeah, isn't that oh, called the big like map the, table? Yeah, like the painted table. I forget exactly its term, but like that was really cool. The way yeah. it, it might even be gilded, uh, but it's lit by candlelight and it looks molten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and we did see that. I mean, that's on Dragonstone. We did see that in the other series. Yeah, it just looks cooler. <laughs> it totally does. It really does show you like this is kind of the golden age. Right? It's sort of like Robert Baratheon's realm was a little bit shabby, and we're going to see like the Gilded Age of Game of Thrones. That's that's the feeling I'm getting from this. Yeah, this is right. Like this is when the Targaryens still had their ta- their their strategic nuclear stockpile intact. This is going to be the event that essentially begin you know is is the uh uh unilateral disarmament well, i guess it's bilateral because both how ha- both the greens and the blacks are are in on it but they're going to decimate not even decimate the, they're going to almost completely destroy their dragons and they're are forever going to be in a quest to get those back uh to maintain their their dwindling yeah. political power but yeah this is not the high water mark but right before targaryen power begins to fall off a cliff um the first major, major schism within the family. And I do love how we're, you know, these Easter eggs can be planted in a show that takes place 200 years before the sequel to it. Um, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble coming up with another universe where that takes place and things would seem still so similar and permanent. There's, there's like a level of object permanence here between you know Dragonstone and the Iron Throne and that table and just like yeah. all these pieces of Game of Thrones that you remember, okay, now jump back two hundred years ago. Those things are still there. Like if you tried to do that with an American uh, show based in America, none of that. I mean, you have like a Liberty Bell, right? <laughs> like, sure, it, it, it'd be very hard to point at the America of the late seventeen hundreds or early eighteen hundreds and say that's a very similar place. Whereas I feel like that's true of Game of Thrones universe. Do we have? A platinum wig problem in this show. <laughs> if you do, it's I don't know how to get around it because that's like the whole tar Targaryen. That's like their whole deal, man. They got the the violet highs and the the uh, the platinum right. wigs, right? But I think that in storytelling, a lot of times what you'll do for shorthand is you'll say, "That's the guy with the big beard. That's the guy with the burnt face. That guy, that's the guy that's big as a mountain. That's the guy that's really short." Right? This is just really sort of easy storytelling things to distinguish characters. I'm wondering if it's like, oh, there's too, just too many of these platinum hair white people 
to distinguish, and they all have names that I can't remember. I, well, I'm just fair, wondering there's, if there's, there's a, a fair problem. share of platinum-haired black people in this uh, uh, thing too to help us distinguish. <laughs> but I, I don't. I mean that. Sure. The, 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 I mean that was Game of Thrones season one. Like everybody's running around calling, the, "Oh, that's a sister fucker. Uh, that's the Wolf Man. <laughs> that's the like. It's like sure. it's. This is like the Wire. This is like uh, you know again Game of Thrones before. Like it's going to be especially for people who haven't read the books. They're not steeped in the lore it will be a couple episodes before you start getting intuitively, especially I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm looking at this trailer. I'm trying to see um, how are they going to distinguish uh, because it's a Targaryen civil war, but of course it helps that the, the people kind of on top of the machinations aren't Targaryens. So you've mm-hmm. got, you know, Alice at Hightower and her splendid, splendid green uh, dress and red hair. Uh, her father who looks very distinctive compared to the, uh, uh, the other Targaryens, uh, the the Valerians uh, look like mm-hmm. they've got darker skin. So you might, you know, you, you might be able to track like Platinums versus the Redheads versus and and be able to keep score that way. But I, I imagine it's going to be a lot like Game of Thrones where everything's going to be very samey until you start getting into especially, oh, my God, Rhaenyra, Rhaenyris, Viserys. <laughs> this Viseria, is what I'm talking Valerian, about. Like, yeah. Yes. But this uh, is it exactly is, what I'm talking. I will say this: Matt Smith looks like a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Like everyone else, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know. You're wearing a wig. It's kind of taking me out of it. He looks like he was born to wear that wig. I felt so much because he's one of the ones where I saw some of the production stills and whatnot, and I'm like, I don't know about this, but I think he really looks great especially in some of those shots where he's wearing the gold cloak uh and he's got that like uh, almost lord of the rings hairdo um i think i i yeah i i this this trailer made me feel like this is going to be a serious thing that is going to be taken seriously it's not going to be this vampy campy kind of thing it's not because i saw some some of the the first trailer of course this was before they did all the you know, the post-production on it and did all the color correction. Uh, I thought some of that stuff looked pretty bad, uh, especially some of the production stills of the characters um, in a way. That, this like, one looked pretty good. This one, I think they they freaking nailed it. Uh, I will say that I got quite a bit of commentary on Twitter and elsewhere that said people because like one of the one of the PGOTSDs that people had was how dark that final season was, not just in tone, but like, oh my God, I can't see what the hell's going on in these night scenes. Uh, there's a lot of murky stuff in this trailer. Um, ever, there's a lot, there's like a pea soup filter ap- uh, applied to a lot of stuff that's not in direct sunlight. Did that, <laughs> did that throw either of you gentlemen or no? Not, not really. I noticed that in some of the scenes, the contrast looks low or it looks like it's in a sort of twilight. But no, I didn't have too much trouble distinguishing the action. For me, I have a a very specific criteria for a trailer. I don't want it to tell me anything factually. I want to get a feeling of the show, right? I, I just I wanted to convey that feeling like, you know, your question, does it feel like Game of Thrones? That's what I think a trailer should do. I'm just I, I I just hate with the red hot heat of a thousand suns. I hate trailers that tell me too much of the story before I actually am in the story. So hey, I'm all for it. I'm all for pea soup filters and foggy nights and things that make me feel like this is the world I want to go visit again. 
I think it checked those boxes. Like even I, who's yeah. fairly mm-hmm. familiar, I haven't like um, you know completely reimmersed myself in the lore. That's I was I'm, honestly I was caught off guard. I didn't know they'd obviously drop a goddamn trailer on me. Um, but like I barely know what's going on. Like this egg trading. Like uh, what the hell is in that box that looks like they're parading through the ruins of Harrenhal? Um, I'm not entirely even sure you talk about that coffin sliding in the water and obviously they're wanting to make you think it's a Targaryen, but like, that's not a Targaryen funeral custom. Uh, I think that's, <laughs> I was be wondering that more the Valerian, the sea Lords, the uh, branch of the family. That's something, but I can't off the top of my head, think of what kind of death in that family would be, uh, something that would trigger something. Um, I thought that there's a scene of like the Lord Commander of the night, the King's Guard, just beating the shit out of somebody with his bare hands, and I'm like, yeah. I don't. I, there's just, there's a lot of stuff that I, th- I thought they did a really good job, especially if you know about what's what's happening, of kind of keeping it pretty mysterious. Like, there's definitely th- it's some, pretty mysterious, yeah. Sure. But but also letting you know that like there's going to be intrigue, there's going to be backstabbing, there's going to be betrayals, there's going to be plots. Uh, there's going to be sides, the, the route for shades of gray, good guys, bad guys. So like, that's why, again, it felt, this really felt like, um, game of Thrones. Like there's, there's really some complexity here and the relationships and the scheming. And that's to me more so than the dragons. I was glad to see the dragons. I'm glad to see a dragon flying over, uh, King's landing, um, uh, Prince Damon going to, I don't know what he's going to do uh, to try to steal an egg from a dragon or try to ride a dragon or, but it, it, and that's the other thing that I think people needed to see in this trailer is this is, you know, it's, it's like trying to show a star Wars episode one trailer without seeing a lightsaber. Like this is the heyday of the Jedi. This is the heyday of the dragons. We need to see some dragons and we saw some dragons and they look great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is one of those things about this show that gives them a little bit of Liberty and a little bit of flexibility with storytelling is that we have a basic structure for the dance of dragons. There's a lot of details that can be filled in. And it's like, clearly the the brain of this totally obsidian looking egg seems to be significant. So with that, I guess maybe I'm guessing too much, but what that tells me is that there's going to be key plot points in this show that are not covered in the book material. Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption. And the question I have is, since we do have the the bare bones plus some narrative structure with those two novellas I mentioned, I, I'm very curious about the pacing. I wish I knew if this was going to be a three, a four, a five, a six series, because depending on how slow they take their time, they can blow that story up and in- include more details and more layers right. and more depth. And the more compressed it's going to be, the less time they'll have to do that. Um, seeing, you know, with this show's pedigree and what it means to HBO, I wouldn't be surprised if it is a longer run than like a shorter three season. Um, I don't know. I, this, I, maybe this answer is out here, but I wonder if uh, HBO has actually said how many seasons they're planning this to be. But uh, I have not seen that yet. I yeah, mean, normally, I haven't either. Even with like the most anticipated series, they don't tend to tell you how long it's going to go. Like, did they even tell us how long Better Call Saul was going to be ahead of time? No, they didn't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. They, no, they made they literally made that up as they went along. See, I think I think, I think it's usually like, let's see how good we do with this first season, and then we'll make some kind of determination of what to do, the length of this thing overall. I think it's going to do well based on what I saw. Um, I think people are ready 
to kind of forgive the sins of season eight of Game of Thrones and come back for a whole new story told, you know, without the people who I think a lot of the audience held responsible and saw as responsible for the uh, <laughs> the fall off of the end of Game of Thrones. Well, here's what it's got going against it. I think Game of Thrones had this cult following at first. Mm-hmm. And then it started to build and build and build, and then there's sort of this cultural momentum around it. I think this is going to have a lot of eyeballs, episodes one and two. And if there's a drop-off, it's going to experience something that Game of Thrones didn't have to experience. Mm-hmm. They only Game of Thrones only ever increased in audience, right? Yeah. So I don't know. If there's, if there's sort of a backlash to this... Because people aren't, you know, happy with the pacing, or it doesn't grab them the way that the first series did, that might be a problem. On the other hand, like if you say that there's a hundred million people watching Game of Thrones worldwide at its height, and that's a number that I've seen bandied about, everybody is watching through all the different outlets. Uh, I don't know if that included piracy or not. If half of those people come back to check out the first few episodes, it seems likely. And if half mm-hmm. of those people persist to the end of season one. That's still 25 million people watching this show, it's, it's true. which is a, a hit unheard of in the last five years, <laughs> to be honest. Here's here's what I guarantee. I guarantee that you're going to hear early and often, not as good as Game of Thrones. And what what is that saying? That's saying not as good as the best fantasy epic we've ever seen on a television screen. Right? And, and not as good as the best parts of the best fantasy epic right. we've seen. Right? They're remembering <laughs> exactly. season four. They're remembering the right. best parts of yeah. a long-running show. <laughs> right. And, and also so keep in right. mind, this is going head-to-head with Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. So... Mm-hmm. There, I we, we Jim and I talked about this a lot on our our main preview podcast, but like, there's huge room for either of these shows to come off, even if they're both relatively excellent. The one to come off as the well, it's not as good as this one. So not only oh, that's is Game of Thrones yeah. competing with its own legacy, which is checkered towards the end, but it's also competing with the other the the, the granddaddy, the Ur fantasy franchise. Uh, so, which yeah, which is also competing with memories of its own super successful <laughs> and less successful elements in the hobbit. So there's there, right. it's it's the it's fascinating. The the intrigue within the show's competition <laughs> with themselves and amongst the the other networks. It's mm-hmm. I'm should be a lot of fun to cover. It's just crazy to me to think that even if this is like one of the best shows ever, if it doesn't live up to Game of Thrones it'll be a disappointment. To me that's fascinating. Sure. But on the other hand, like I think there's a lot of people that say I'm uh, that uh, Better Call Saul has surpassed uh, Breaking Bad in terms, That's of, true. If, if not yeah. in its action and its in terms of its like uh, storytelling and cinematography and, and themes, which you know wouldn't be a bad legacy. And again, if you can hold on to ten percent of the all-time high traffic of Game of Thrones of the eyeballs, you still have a mega super duper hit. Right. Was there anything else about this trailer that grabbed you? I don't. I mean, like, you know, there's there's so many breakdowns on the Internet exa- uh, already about, like, you know, uh, people are speculating that some of these big sets, ooh, this is the interior of the ruined Heron Hall, and it's look at the, the mat. You know, we remember Arya serving as uh, um, Tywin's page boy slash girl and that, and, like, how much, you know, bigger the scope is. And, oh, mm-hmm. look, there's... Uh, 
you know, Prince Viserys and he's got Blackfire, the the ancestral uh, blade and and oh, here's Alicent coming crazy at Rhaenyras with the the uh, yeah. uh, 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 Valerian steel dagger that almost killed Bran. Like there's that kind of stuff that's that's fun to ooh and ah. But what really what what really stood out to me is this felt recognizably like Game of Thrones and a show that I almost immediately wanted to reinvest in and. Um, I did a impromptu polling on the Bald Move community uh, on our Twitter page. Uh, it seems like that uh, people shared that sentiment. Um, let me mm, look because okay. I, I was trying to stall as I was pulling up this poll. Um, but uh, so uh, I, I asked, uh, after seeing the newest House of the Dragon trailer, you are more excited for House of the Dragon, same level of excitement, less excited. Boo, I'm out on House of the Dragon. 50%. Uh, said they were more excited. 38% said they maintained the same level of excitement. 6.1% said less, and uh, less than 6% said, boo, I'm out. Uh, sure. To the extent okay. that you extrapolate that to the, the Game of Thrones audience as a whole, that's pretty encouraging. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think you're going to have a lot of people in, not just for the first few episodes like you're talking about, Anthony. I think you're going to have a lot of people in for that first season. And if that first season can can nail that foot fill and, and give people their swords and sandals and sex and mm-hmm. dragons uh, fill and their intrigue and, 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 and kind of go out. They got to find a bang. They got to find a bang for that penultimate ultimate episode. I think they'll have something <laughs> and we'll see what, what you didn't ask on the poll was I'm really disappointed, but I'm going to watch this religiously. <laughs> I guess same level of excitement could be people who are like, I'm not really excited at all. And this trailer didn't, but you know, Fifty percent were more excited. Same the same level could mean I never left. I'm here for all of it. Right. I'm at this constant peak of Game of Thrones love. But that's kind of crazy to ninety percent of the audience responding, and I think it's gotta be pretty representative, right? Uh ninety percent of the audience responding is uh Yeah. The same or more excited. Uh, than yeah, they were right. last week. So, uh, well, again, it's. I think it's. I was surprised because I I've been taking this poll about every six months since Game of Thrones went off the air, and like I would say, seventy five percent of the people were some kind of pissed off about Game of Thrones, and like this franchise is dead to me. I'm not even going to try. These numbers are turning around, and I think it's because they've worked their ass off. I think this material mm-hmm. is is pretty solid. And it's the budget's even bigger, and it's going to lure a lot of people. It's going to be it's going to be big television, big spectacle. It's going to be the return to kind of water cooler television, at least for this first season. I don't know anything about, about past that, but if they can nail this first season, I think they'll have because even if people hate it, it'll be it'll be a hate watch, and people just kind of like cackling that like ah, I knew it. It's going they're going to you know uh, beyond that first season. You, you're uh, you, if, unless it's good, you're not going to have those same kind of looky lose rubbernecking at a you know, car accident type of feel. So just one last thing that I wanted to mention. I don't know if I, I, this is maybe the first time I've really studied the IMDb page for this. The cast for this show is amazing. I mean, I've Matt Smith, amazing. Olivia cocky, amazing. Riz Iffins, amazing. I guess Sonoya Mizuno, who was in Ex Machina, and, and devs, uh, yep. And devs, another. I mean, this is sort of, this is what gets me excited. I think that the one thing that Game of Thrones always had going for it is that even if you had like a C plot character, 
Or even if you had a character that's only going to show up for one episode and then get hung or something, they're going to bring in a really amazing actor for that role. Yeah. And this is exactly the kind of thing that I'm in for. I'm just looking at the names on this list. And, you know, my conversation with David Peterson was that this is some of the best dialogue I've ever read. Right. You've got amazing people delivering amazing dialogue. For me, that's half the battle. Yeah, and then these are, we also don't know who are going to be the Kit Harringtons, who's going to be the Sophie Turners, who's going to be sure. the Maisie Williams that, yeah, like, who's going to come a, out of nowhere, right? are going to be household names at the end of this because, you know, HBO can can cast, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm uh, pretty, pretty excited about it. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait to see how well this does. Thank you guys for jumping in at short notice. Oh, yeah, thanks no for problem. hosting us for this emergency discussion because, again, HBO. Thought they had us. Thought they had us cornered. And oh, no. uh, we're, we, they, we they didn't expect the Bukaloo. No one expects the Bukaloo <laughs> uh, for, for cutting edge trailer talk, but that's right, we showed that's them. Right. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. 
Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. I could watch Sam almost throw up for an entire episode. <laughs> I loved that montage. Loved was, it. All right. So that's what I was going to ask you because we, the show doesn't do a lot of montage stuff. This one was, a, was pitch perfect. <laughs> Just I mean, the, the, diarrhea and soup, dude. I was screaming. I was. I was and the diarrhea was just a lot like the soup. And the noises, the sounds, and just every time he would almost throw up, I just would just just cackle. <laughs> I mean, this and it was said, foul, dude. It was a foul scene. Sam has seen some stuff. I mean, he has seen, you know, he's seen like Craster's Keep. He's seen the army of the dead, and I just feel like this was the scene that almost undoes him. Ouch. <laughs> oh man, that was good. When this uh opened, it it well, it opens with the phrase, right? And it opens with Walder Frey, and so then the question is, did you know that was Arya? Well, yeah, because then we just we saw her kill him in the last one, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So I yeah I was like that's I already knew that that was gonna be that was her mission impossible. It kind of shows you how much she can wreck shop, and I wonder if, in the same way that like Danny's dragons makes her way too powerful, like you almost just feel like okay, well you've got all these armies and you got the ships and you got the dragons, you're just kind of way too powerful for everyone else. Or if Bran could actually like change the past or whatever. Sure. Way yeah, too I mean, powerful. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's been my early concern, right, with smoke babies and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if you can just pop out a smoke baby whenever you want to, way too powerful. So then the question is, is Arya way too powerful now? I mean, she could just it, there's there's no one she can't kill. There's no one. I mean, it, she was able to kill like an entire legacy in in with one sip of wine or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. So does that make her way too powerful? Uh, it makes her pretty, I mean, it makes her a lot powerful. And I, I guess compared to having 
essentially no power this is kind of the mm. well so i get yeah i mean it is is the is the question way too powerful is that a critique on the, the what we do now yeah i guess uh, narratively speaking like if if this is a, if this is like a contest to see who's going to come up on top and win the war or whatever if one side is inordinately powerful there's there's a certain asymmetry there and it makes the story less compelling well, yeah, no, I and I and this is you know to start dealing with magic, and this was my my initial concern coming out the gate is that I'm into the political intrigue and I'm willing to endure a certain amount of magic as long as rules take place, right? And so I'm still already like, wait, she left the the no face man, and she says I'm not no one, but she still has the ability to do all that, which kind of that part I felt was a little bit like, well, I'm still like, I, I, okay, I guess. And not only that, but she's like real good at it. And um, now she's going through her. So, but I mean, I, I guess I look at it more like the X-Men. Because hmm. if you look at, I mean, Storm seems pretty powerful. And uh, yet, you know, her alone couldn't maybe go against Magneto and on and on it goes, right? So everybody has these powers, but. I think that the weak, Storm's weakness is when she's inside. <laughs> yeah yeah so but i mean you look at there has to be limitations right and i think one of the limitations that all of them still have whether you look at danny with dragons or uh aria with uh the faces or whatever it is they're still them right like so if aria's hell-bent on revenge that mm-hmm. could keep her from being uh reasonable logical maybe even uh, bigger picture minded, right? She's like, I want to get this person, I want to get that person, which, so that gives her power to do what she wants to do, but it may not make her truly powerful in the, in, it would make too powerful, I should say. Well, and the other thing is that like, a dragon could still cook her regardless of her face. A dragon could still cook her. And yet you would think like, okay, all she has to do is like steal Missandei's face and she could get right next to Danny and poke her with holes. True. Whatever. No, I mean that that is that's that's the risk you run. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, so this this is where I start to get like I'm getting nervous. I get nervous because we're we're headed into like I did a little look at the um, the tomato meters. <laughs> sure. The, and this season seems to do okay. Uh, yeah. That I okay. So I think. And that's critical. We, we talked about the. We've talked about the difference between the sort of the overall fan reactions versus the sort of the critical reply. Right. The critical responses are bad and the fans have their feelings hurt. Then that generally is bad for the show. Right? And that happens, I think, on the last three episodes of the whole thing. That's what I sure. looked at. Something like that. Because so, all these are like in the, in the high 80s, 90s. Yeah. I think in season seven, well, first off, the show is only getting more fans. Like the first episode of season seven, more you had more eyeballs than any other show, and people were pretty happy. I think. I think that there was, and then there were people like me who were like, you know, steeped in the lore, who were thinking, yeah, but thinking like, eh, but how is that going to work? You know? Yeah, yeah. We couldn't no, get out sure. of our own heads. Sure. No, that, and that makes total sense to me, right? And so that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what having these conversations are helpful for because then it's like, oh, I can see where that could be an issue. So I get nervous because the thing that I'm concerned about, which for me would be like, what would be the turnoff for me? Like, what would it take? 
right? And you don't really know what it would take, right? But my, I've already said I have, I have time interruption issues. I have an excess of magic issues because then you can start taking leaps. Then you can start mm -hmm. having some real like, well, we got ourselves into a corner here. We'll just magic our way out of it. And it depends on how you do it because it's like some of things, some things you're kind of happy to overlook. It's like, like, like Jon Snow's revival was sort of like, huh? But boy, that was thrilling, you know. And I, and that's a perfect example because my thought is like, oh well, and then but then it adds more questions, right? Well, then go resurrect so and so, then go resurrect this person. <laughs> just take take Melisandre around and start going to, to just start, you know what I mean? It's like then she becomes much more valuable who cares uh, if she here's if the she other thing shireen right okay so here's the other thing you know how i feel about that anyway about the show yeah, i would know bring shireen back and kill her again i mean that's you know <laughs> um so when a show gets super popular it has the capacity to then crawl up its own ass so ed sheeran <laughs> perfect example right so what? Tell me. I mean, could they not? Could they not afford the hologram of Tupac? <laughs> I mean, it's immediate. You're like, okay. So Ed Sheeran, did Brand bring him back from the future? <laughs> did you? Because it isn't it, like, or was it like, oh God, what are you doing? What are you doing? This, yeah, this, this, this felt dumb. <laughs> like for me, if if this is the if this is the reason why everybody disliked the show after a while, I'd be like, yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Because, like, at least make him look a little less shirany. <laughs> you know, or just go full on in where Ed Sheeran's just like, why am I, what am I doing here? Like, could you have him be like where he's like, I just, I, I stepped into a phone booth and what the hell? You know, what something. <laughs> like, just make it completely you know meta or you just say that i'm i'm lord ned sheeran and you know <laughs> i don't know just i mean immediately and then it's like hey should we do a close-up of him like no no you shouldn't probably not should he sing no that's like the last thing he should do oh you, you're gonna bring him in show him and have him this be it, it definitely felt like the muppet show where they all of a sudden have like like a serious song with, mm -hmm. with muppets or something you know and you're like look sure. this is none of this is funny none of this is entertaining you know who is this for is this my See, parents i feel the for? opposite i feel like okay like <laughs> let's say you're watching like cookies fortune or something and uh sure. you know it's it's a it's a fine show it also like has lyle lovett in it yeah and I'm thinking, he just plays this creepy old guy, but I'm thinking, but if you're going to bring in Lyle Lovett, at least have him sing. Like, <laughs> I, I, it wouldn't work with his character arc, but he should sing at some point. You you paid money to bring in Lyle Lovett. Or, I, I, if they, well, but Lyle Lovett at least is like, he has acted. <laughs> That's true. I mean, Ed Sheeran, I guess, has acted in his music videos. <laughs> it's like Elvis. Like, you're going to put Elvis in a movie. You're going to have Elvis sing. Yeah, he's going to star, and it's going to be an Elvis movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we didn't see, like, Elvis as an extra in it. <laughs> yeah, it was very, yeah, I don't think Elvis just played, like, a bridge troll and something. <laughs> he was he was a, a background player in The Godfather. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. No, I mean, 
yeah, this I, it, like at, at this point, it did feel a little like if if it wasn't jumping the shark, it was getting pretty darn close to the water. Yeah, this. All right, so let's let's talk about the overview here. You know what you have to do? You have to kill Ed Ed Sheeran in a gruesome way. Well, that was the other thing about that scene. It was all kind of like uh, it was the sweetest like weirdest scene like the, it was so saccharine the whole thing oh, yeah and so that Which part I was yeah. like all right so you brought in ian mcshane and he was one of these super just amiable gregarious kind of guys it's kind of giving you this it's an invitation to love humanity again in, in a show that really devalues humanity right and so this could have been that but it wasn't. It was Ed Sheeran. Well, yeah. So let's let's go a little step further, right? So so we're starting to see, like, it, I think the, one of the things about the show, and I think we talked about this very early on, was that uh, Sean Bean was like the most recognizable cat. Yeah, until until Ed Sheeran. <laughs> well, you know, and then we start getting Jonathan Price. Yeah, sure. And and then Max von Sydow shows up. And Ian McShane. Now we got Jim Broadbent. So we we're getting some bigger names that do. It is every time one of them shows up. I mean, it doesn't help that Max von Sydow was not Max von Sydow this season before, but uh, but there is that like, you're like, as soon as somebody big comes in, it feels different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, nothing wrong with bringing. It, I mean, it happens, right? I mean, we see it in plenty sure. of shows. Yeah, no, the first. Right. The first scene with Ian McShane, you're going to think, oh, that's Ian McShane. Or if you don't right. know him, you're thinking, where have I seen that guy before? Exactly. So it's yeah. going to take you out of it. And then he does so well that you kind of allow it. Right? Exactly. And same with, with all of them. I mean, Broadbent's great, I think, and Price is fantastic, all that stuff. But it is one of those moments where it, it because because you only seem to really know these people through Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. Um it it felt like in a less like a show and more like a little more voyeuristic, but as soon as you start seeing highly recognizable actors, it becomes a little bit like oh that's right it's a show but like but they're good enough to bring you back right. Ed Sheeran does not do that, <laughs> nor does his character or role or the scene in which he's in do anything. Well, all right, let me push back a little bit on that. So I think it does. No, I, I won't allow it. I think it does. <laughs> I think it allows Arya to 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 announce her intentions. She's going to kill the queen, mm-hmm. and it, there's a little bit of you know it's played for a laugh or whatever. But how does she reveal that in another way so I know her intentions? I mean, these other characters will like write letters, and then someone will read the letters or whatever. Right. Um. I do want to know that. I want to know. Okay. Oh, she want. She's got her list. She's gonna start crossing names off, and Cersei's the first name, and uh, and that's that's interesting to me, right? So there's that part of it. The other part of it is that I do like the idea of Arya seeing a group of people who aren't murderous. Like mm-hmm. you almost get the impression that everyone in this whole world will straight up murder you, right? But I do like these little moments where it's like, no, these guys are just kind of regular dudes. Um, that's just kind of me giving the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I because I feel like that doesn't make any sense to me. 
Yeah, it's hard to argue with you. I, I was trying my best. Yeah, that these guys would just be like, yeah, I mean, I know we're we're soldiers and everything, but we're sweet as pie. Have you met Ed Sheeran? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that scene is. For me. That scene is that scene is more of Ed Sheeran being like, I want to be in Game of Thrones, and and them going, hey, cool. All right, so you know who's the opposite of Ed Sheeran is uh, Littlefinger because. <laughs> Every single time they pan over to his face sitting in the corner, it's just like, you know what it's like? It's like you're watching your favorite show, and there's just some guy in the corner that you know hates the show, <laughs> and he's not watching the show. He's watching you watching the show. It's like, it's like a, it's a watch party. It's a Game of Thrones watch party, yeah. and it's me in the corner when Ed Sheeran shows up. So just having Littlefinger in the room is just a huge buzzkill. Well, and I, that's what's kind of cool, though. I like because I, I, you know, I Littlefinger's character is very. I think it's he's been sufficiently captured. I think mm-hmm. everything has been like he's always creepy. He's always untrustworthy, and every time he's there, just Littlefingering it up. It's. Uh, it's, I do like these scenes where he's just looking at people and he doesn't have to. Talk. I think I think that's great. Like I really think that it's super effective because as soon as it goes over, there's just this. It's it's amazing how ominous somebody who's kind of non-threatening, like yeah. in just in 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 their person, but it, there's this sense of like ah, I don't. He's at his worst when he's alone, quietly scheming. It's very different than when Rob was pronounced king, right? When Rob was pronounced king, it was like jubilant like Mm -hmm. like you know finally this guy you know here here we are you know this this is finally going somewhere this is going to be great it's 100 percent jubilant and just to have little finger in the room is that flying the ointment that just makes you feel like oh shit what are we gonna do with this guy yeah yeah, it's a very reluctant, like, because you're just like, oh, like, instead of, and yeah. the instead fact of, that Sansa knows exactly how dangerous he is. Right, and then, but also, that that's, I think that's been a lovely complication, right? She knows exactly how dangerous he is. She knew that she absolutely needed him in order to win. And so she's, she's, she's the one who invited the vampire past the threshold, but because she needed the vampire. That's right. And now yeah, he's yeah. there, and you can't yeah. get him out. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Cersei. Okay. As we enter season seven, she's kind of gone from this super conflicted character that we saw in season six. I don't know if even conflicted is the right word, but she's she I mean, she's undergoing a lot of power struggle and uh and I think that that makes her somewhat more interesting than someone who's Seemingly all powerful. Um, I mean, even like someone like Jon Snow, who is you know king in the north, he's he's having to wrestle with what it means to be a ruler, and he's got you know dissenting opinions in the ranks, and he's got Sansa to deal with. Cersei just seems like a Sith Lord. Yeah. Um, I mean, even so much so that her her ultimate equal, her twin brother is a little bit afraid of her. Yeah. And so does this make her more interesting or less interesting? That is a real good question. Cause part of the appeal of Cersei was, um, 
was the tension of not having the ultimate capacity to do what she wanted. And, but then I would say that now we had the tension is now she has the capacity, but she doesn't have uh, the means necessarily. So I think that there is an element that's, I, I don't think I'm less interested in her. I think she's about the same. It's just, it's, it's how I'm interested is, has shifted mm -hmm. because now it's kind of like, she's all in, right? But she is all in on this protecting King's Landing, maintaining the Lannister name. Um, but uh, her cards ain't great. She doesn't have great cards, but she's not. Well, she always thought that she had what it took to be the ruler, right? She always thought, if I had been born a man, I would run this place. And now she kind of does run the place. But you're right. It is somewhat stacked against her. She, you know, the kingdom is to in total disarray. Uh, well, it, it, going back to the Texas Hold'em thing, it feels like she was really, really waiting for a specific car, a card on the river. <laughs> and uh, and it flipped, and it, it she doesn't have it. But she's been betting so much that she's just going to have to con convince everybody that she already had a winning hand. Mm. And so she is just in, and she has got that steely glare. Um, and she's so she's in. She's pot committed at this point, and uh, she's hoping that she can now. She has to play the players, not the cards. Um, I really dug the scene where the hound has to return to the house. Yeah, that was good. Where he had basically sentenced the, the, the father and daughter to death, right? Yeah. Even though he didn't kill them, he kind of set them on the, a trajectory to either starving to death or freezing to death or something. Mm -hmm. And f feeling pretty convicted about it. You know, it's like, I think that the... Season one hound would have been like, you know, that's just, this is life. Life is, this is just part of life. And um, I'm no better or worse than anyone else. Uh, there's lots of murderers around and I'm one of them. Uh, but this is a different kind of hound we're watching. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely, a, and it's, I mean, this is not a, necessarily a redemptive hound, but it is, it is, the, the journey to redemption is not something that, is lost on him at this point. And I like, it seems believable. I mean, I think that there could be, they could have done this really wrong. You know, it could have been like, he fell in with the pacifists or they could have done that really poorly. Yeah. He um, could have been singing along with Ed Sheeran at some point. Don't <laughs> underestimate his <that laughs> voice, man. That's right. <laughs> you would be surprised, but his harmonies with Sheeran are, uh, there have there have been. They should have lust. put Sharon in with a scene with Braun. Those two could have uh, really crooned together. That would be that would have been incredible. Um, and then he sees a vision in the fire. This is uh, quite the vision. And he's a, and he's kind of able to narrate it, but they don't show you what he's seen in the fire. So I guess the question is, by pointing the camera at him and having him do the play by play. Is that more or less effective than like actually doing some special effects? Um, I actually like it better than than special effects. Okay. Um, because I think I think you could have set up for regardless of how well you did with the special effects, something kind of hokey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because true. because it's fire and it's like I don't like in my mind. I'm like I don't even know how this would work. Like why I would see fire and he would like what would that even look like? And I like that I don't have to. Do, see it 
Right. I thought I did have a little bit of an issue with his narration. Um, it seemed a little straightforward. Like a guy that's seen visions in a fire should have been a little bit more like it's fire. He hates fire. And he's seen something magic in the fire. And instead he's just kind of like, Hmm, I see this. Hmm. Oh man. And then nothing this happened. And it's, it's, it's easily the, the worst play by play. He's no Joe Buck. He's really not known for his color commentary. <laughs> no. um, all right. You're feeling about zombie giants. <laughs> Love it. You're into the zombie giants. Big time. Okay. Why not? Why not have zombie giants? Um, all right. Overall feeling about this episode, because, you know, you were, you were going into season seven thinking, all right, here's where the letdown starts. And I think that's what's helpful. Right. So I don't know. Maybe I over, I, I liked that. That was a pretty good kickoff. I liked the, the Aria Walder Frey thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, I'd like, you know, obviously get a little glimpse of the white walkers again, which I think is, is, is good. Um, See, I don't know. Okay, I I feel like this was a bit slow for me. Okay. Um, and I, I I don't mind slow, but there were times where it was like, you know, I use the term, you know, tendency to get up your own ass or whatever. I felt like there were a few scenes where it was sort of like, you guys are just really feeling yourself, aren't you? Like you're bringing <laughs> in Ed Sheeran. Yeah, no, that's true. There was that sort of long, drawn-out tour of Dragonstone at the end with where Danny sure. goes directly to, you know, shall we... Well, and, I think, and, and I think that's supposed to be the big a big build-up, and I didn't feel like that had... Yeah. It didn't do it a lot. I already felt like we've sort of... The, the shall we begin to me was when they were on the ships headed to Dragonstone in the last, sure. in my opinion, I don't, I didn't, it, that seemed like an unnecessary big moment. I like, I like the, the desperation of Cersei. Uh, Euron comes in and does his little, mm-hmm. little, little tap dance. And uh, overall, I think that with, with Arya being kind of more centralized and focused, there's this, this whole Jon Snow, um, tension of like you know bringing the car starks uh back and uh i don't know i, I think that there's in in the umber i think that that was cool i for a first episode for a season that i'm like kind of holding on to you know hope that i'm i'm gonna be okay with it i i, I was i was pretty pleased you're pretty happy yeah for sure okay.